The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and behind the glass is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. Hello. <laughs> I'm going to quit calling him that. Actually, if you would just get a sound, you never have to make the sound. And so I write, Uncle AJ Jacobs is here. Back by popular demand. <laughs> yeah, welcome back, man. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Popular demand. Um, we're doing a special episode today. This is a kind of a unique thing. We're recording it on the day and releasing it on the day, which is something that we've never done. Um, we're always usually a week or two weeks out. So uh, today- They get a little tight sometimes. Last week's episode, I, I finally got, I finally delivered it about what, a day, two days before? Yeah, yeah. And then I even didn't listen to the whole thing. I didn't even hear the best part, which is at the end of All of It 7. He's got some really cool, uh, what is that thing that Ralph calls it? What is that called? Oh, I don't it's know. Not catechism, it's like they said, the, yeah, that Catholic, you know, it's the cat, prayer, it's the like catechism, very common. They call it. And then Amade Padre and all yeah. that stuff. Well, then he actually, if you go listen to the end yeah. of it, he actually auto tuned it. It's really oh good. Oh my God. <laughs> and then I added a bunch of robot voices. <laughs> it was really funny. Well, today's a special episode uh, because today in, um, in the Christian world, it's Good Friday. Okay. And Good Friday is. Uh, Basically, I say basically a lot. I got to stop that. Ugh. Yeah, there's nothing like hearing hours of your own voice recorded. I to- say basically like 55,000 <laughs> times an episode. And I'm like, oh, that's my, that's my thing that I do and I hate it. So today is when Christ was crucified in history. This is the Friday before um, the Resurrection Sunday or what we call Easter here. And um, we're not doing a holiday edition. We're doing a special edition because... Um, I'm going to pose a question to you, Andy, because AJ knows this. We already we talked about this at work the other day. All right. So, according to tradition, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He was put into the grave uh, that evening uh, around 5:30 or 6 p.m. Then he was in the grave from 5:30 or 6 p.m. Friday, all day Saturday and into Saturday night, and then before dawn broke, he raises from the dead. Okay, mm-hmm. so you know enough about Christianity. How many days was Jesus in the grave, according to? I mean, he was crucified on a Friday. He was in the grave for like what a day then? <laughs> but what did he say he was going to be in the grave for? How long? Three did... days. That's right. Three he days. said three days. He actually says in Matthew three days and three nights. Yeah. And so tradition right now tells us that Friday is Good Friday. This is the day he was crucified. And then tomorrow is the Sabbath. And then Sunday is the day that he resurrected on the first day of the week. And so I asked that to AJ and I was like, do the math for me, you know? And the best we could come up with was about 36 hours. (laughs) But three days and three nights, if you're going to get into a literal description of it, would be 72 hours. So Believe it or not, there's a lot of debate, but it's not really debated today. It's like, I guess maybe people don't care. I don't know. But it's a very important thing. It's more like the spirit is important rather yeah. than the letter of the law. Yeah, that's that's the way it's seen. However, according to the scriptures, Jesus is the one that uttered this. And he says to the scribes and the Pharisees of his time that 
they've been hearing some stuff about him, like he thinks he's the Messiah, or he thinks he's the coming anointed one. And so they say, give us a sign. And I'm going to read that in Matthew where he answers that question, like, give us a sign that you're who you say you are. It's really fascinating. All right, so if any of the listeners, uh, if you'll turn to Matthew 12, and then we're going to read uh, verses 38 through 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, so he says, Mm -hmm. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But the only sign that will be given to that generation is the sign of Jonah, mm-hmm. okay? So if Jesus is who he says he is, then the only sign they're going to get is that this, he's going to be in the ground for mm-hmm. three days and three nights. That's the sign. So he continues on, though, from there. He, this is what he's continuing to say to these scribes and Pharisees. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So what he's telling them is that the only way that you're going to find out who I am is through the sign of Jonah. But then he tells them, he suddenly switches to judgment. And he says, which we've been talking about a lot in the Olivet Discourse. Sure. If you go back and you read the Gospels, you're going to hear him say these kinds of things a lot. Like Jesus talks about judgment a lot in his ministry, and it's on that generation that reject him. Mm -hmm. So he's telling them something that is really going to piss them off. He's telling them Nineveh is going to rise up. So you don't know when the book of Jonah was written. We know that Jonah was written. It's an Old Testament book, okay? So it's long before Christ was here. A minimum of 400 years, because Malachi was the last prophet yeah. in the Old Testament, and it was 400 years before John arrived. So, there's a 400-year gap. So, Jonah is before this, okay? So, it's 400, 500 years before. Yeah, and this that story, yeah. Lord, that could come from, you yeah. know, it, that could have been handed down for generations yeah. upon generations, just orally. Yeah, and I'm sure we could Google, like, when was Jonah, you know, supposedly happening, and it would tell yeah. us in history. I'm sure there's some way to reference it. I haven't. Yeah, just yeah know there's it's probably somebody that, that has an idea, surely. Sure. So, basically what he, <laughs> I just said it, basically. So, <laughs> Jesus tells them, Nineveh will rise up. So, if you don't know the story of Jonah, you won't understand what, who Nineveh is, the city of Nineveh, and what, what matters to them. First of mm-hmm. all, they're a Gentile nation. They're not Jewish. So he's saying in the judgment, the Gentiles will rise up and condemn the Jew. Mm-hmm. Now that's pissing them off. But then he says the queen of the South comes to Solomon. If you don't know that story, then you're not going to know that she's from Africa and that she is a Gentile and that that, that group, that her, herself, is going to be able to stand in the judgment as a Gentile mm-hmm. and condemn the Jew. Do you see how every time I have these conversations about anti-Semitism that I'm always like, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm not, you know, it's because when Jesus spoke in judgment, he was he was proclaiming judgment on the Jewish people, and yet he was a Jew, let's not forget. Yeah. And there were, all of his disciples were Jews, and all of the first converts were Jews. So that's why I say, don't, you know, don't look at me like I'm anti-Semitic, I'm not, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I, t- I keep driving it home. 
I just I get I, a lot of I, slack. I, I, do you? That's yeah. See, I'm I'm like like blissfully insulated from social media because I just on this front because I just don't pay attention and I don't use it that much myself anyway. Really, uh, well, the but, whole reason that Mel Gibson has been, you know, of course, Mel Gibson is anti-Semitic. Well, yeah, he's he's <laughs> the real much. deal. Yeah. But, yeah, Mel Gibson's the real deal. But he made the Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a very provocative film. And then when he gets arrested, he was like, it's all your fault, you Jews. You know, like, yeah. it's awful. And now there's a movie out right now. I don't know if you've heard. It's out literally this week uh, that uh, Mark Wahlberg put out. Yeah. yeah, it's called Father Stew. And uh, it's about a Catholic priest. And interestingly enough, um, Mark Wahlberg spent $30 million of his own money. And Mel Gibson is in this. And, uh, yeah. I, I saw advertisements for it. Just, you know, look, you know, to watch this. Drunk man become a priest. You know, it's and it, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a classic, a bit of a classic sure. plot line in a manner. Oh, yeah. Just that that sort of redemption story and you know, funneling that particular redemption story into becoming a priest is not super original. But it, but Mark Wahlberg's generally pretty good, so I assume the movie's fine. He doesn't really do trash. He, I'm not always in love with his movie. You know, I'm not always lined up to see a Mark Wahlberg movie, but they're rarely trash. You know? Yeah, he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. I like, you know, which is surprising that he was Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Yeah, let's not forget that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we don't. Yeah, walked around, walked around in those tidy tight shorts and yes. no shirt on. And <laughs> yeah. So before we get into the three days and three nights and we break it down, I want to make uh, a point today. And that is, and you read the notes, right, AJ? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So you know what I'm trying to hone in is yes, that's the sign, the three days and three nights. But what's the sign for? And as you can tell, he's he's saying it's about judgment. When you see it, then the, this is how you understand judgment. So what I want the audience to learn, if you if you don't know it, is this: who is Jonah, and what is this Nineveh thing, and who is the Queen of the South, and the Solomon thing, and how all of this links together? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to to Jonah and we'll start in chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So basically in the beginning, basically, gah! so <laughs> almost start a towel. I'm gonna make yeah, yeah, yeah. I should I should pay you extra to take all those out. So what this book is saying is that God told Jonah, go to this Gentile nation. He called a Jewish prophet to go to a Gentile nation uh-huh. and say, tell them to repent or I'm going to destroy their city. Now, what you find out in you know chapter four of Jonah is that that's what he wanted. He was like, the reason he's running is because he's afraid. is because he doesn't <laughs> want God to save Nineveh. He wants them to judge Nineveh and uh-huh. destroy Nineveh because they're evil in the sight of a Jew, right? But God says, yeah, they are, but I'm telling you, go tell them to repent. So instead of that, he goes the opposite direction. And if you notice the word down, Mm-hmm. He's always going down. down. He's yeah. going down. I did down. reading the notes. I found that odd. It, you saw yeah. it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's going down to Joppa, and then he gets on the ship, and he goes down inside the ship. Right. All right. So what happens next? Uh, Jonah chapter one verses four through sixteen. So now he's in the boat. Right. He's in the ship. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. 
and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So that was a total loss, right? But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He's going down, down, down. So the captain captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they're all freaking out on the boat and they're like, let's let's throw some dice and see who, yeah, yeah, who's the guy, go. right? <laughs> who's the guy that did it? Now, in most cases, I would say, don't do that. All right. But in, right here. Who's in this, at fault here? <laughs> Somebody get straw. Right. So, so, of course, they cast the lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he replying to them says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do with you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. So now as they're learning more about this, it starts getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, it's not getting better. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So much he didn't want to go proselytize. (laughs) (laughs) Just kill me now, right? (laughs) Kill me now. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So the harder they rode, the worse it got. It was not happening. They could not get to the edge of the sea. So, therefore, they called out to the Lord. Now, this is new. Now they're calling out to his God. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So now, this is one little interesting point. Note how his disobedience led others To To seek his God, right? Mm -hmm. So now they're making vows to God, which is interesting. All right, here we go. So let's see what happens next. He's been thrown into the sea and the sea has calmed down. Jonah chapter one, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So now we hear. Here we are. He's in the sea. Now he's in the in the whale or the great fish, and he's in for three days and three nights, just like Jesus said. So this is where he hears it from, okay? So now that he's in the great fish, that's the sign that he's in three days and three nights. But I want to take it a little bit further. Jesus said that he was better than Jonah, which means he's a better preacher. He's a better prophet. He's better mm-hmm. than all. So let's see why. So in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, and really listen careful, because you're going to find out something that most people don't teach. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Now, he said Sheol. Mm -hmm. He didn't say the belly of the fish. He said belly of Sheol, I cried. What, What is Sheol? Sheol is the grave. Oh, okay. Sheol is the place of the dead. 
Do you remember we told I talked about Sheol and Hades? How Sheol is the Hebrew word of Hades. Okay. So Sheol is the place of the dead. Okay. So he's saying, out of the belly I cried from Sheol, out of the belly of Sheol, okay? So for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy, holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. If You've heard about Jonah in the whale before. Yeah. What was unique about him being in the whale? He lived. Right. That's what they teach. I don't. Uh-huh. I say that he died. He was dead in the water when the fish picked him up. Well, yes. Basically because of what his, he's praying from Sheol, okay? Yeah. It's not from just the belly of the fish. It's out of the belly of fish. But he's, when he's praying, this is where it's happening. That's where his body is. But his soul is in Sheol. So he says, the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That is Hades. Mm -hmm. That's Sheol. So there he is. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. You see? So he wasn't alive. He was dead. Yeah. But he brought him back up from the pit. That's important. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Now listen closely. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So when he tells them, he tells him, go to Nineveh. He took it in his own, you know, on his own course and said, no. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not bringing salvation to them, but he's going to bring salvation to them because God's going to make sure of it because salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what a prophet's job is to do. So it's my belief that he died and was in Sheol and was resurrected. That would make sense because, and he can be resurrected in the fish. Yes, that was going to be my question. So are we saying that Jonah was resurrected? Yeah, it's my opinion. Now, a lot of people say he was alive in the fish and he's praying, but all of those words that I just read when he went down in the billows and into the mm-hmm. those places of the dead, it's my opinion that he had drowned and then God picked him up with the fish and brought him back to life. It certainly and, makes the story as a whole much neater when you include Jesus' res- resurrection, right? Yes. I yes. mean, it. It yeah, it turns everything into a very nice. It puts a bow on a couple it, things. Really. Sure, yeah, it really yeah. does. Yeah. So I see why I see why you you know what I mean. It's it's an attractive idea. It is, and and regardless whether he was dead or not, he went into the fish. You could say he went into the fish like Jesus went in the tomb, and you can argue the point. Sure, but that Jesus, even though he was in the tomb, they know according to the New Testament, it says that he went down into Sheol and he preached to those that had died in the flood. So. Like he's not alive in body, but his spirit is still moving, mm-hmm. which is what they believe in the afterlife anyway, which is in Sheol. Now, anyway, there, there's so it's so much more than that, but I'm I'm just gonna move on here. So we know that Jonah, you know, has prayed from inside this great fish, and so then here's what happens next. It's incredible. The Lord speaks to the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. <laughs> You know, so he was some whale puke Boop. right on the beaches of. Let my people go. <laughs> put him right. Put him right on the beaches of Nineveh, like of the land where he's heading into the, to Nineveh. So now he's back on the earth. So let's go to Jonah chapter three, verses one through ten. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it in the uh, the message that I tell you." 
So he calls out a second time, the same thing. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. They are repenting so hard, they're not even letting the animals, animals eat. eat. Yeah. And that, I mean, yes. that's deep. Very. <laughs> you know, like if you decided to fast and you're like, sorry, kids, yeah. sorry, everybody in the house. Dogs, everybody, no, nobody's, nobody's eating. eating. This yeah. is real, you know, <laughs> like, so for him, you know, for what these people are doing, it's amazing. He issued a, procl- a proclamation and published through Nineveh, uh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, right? Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So now we understand the story of Jonah. We understand the three days and three nights, Mm -hmm. and we also understand why Nineveh would stand in the judgment on the generation that Jesus was in. It was because Nineveh repented and did what God said. The people of Jesus' time weren't going to. They were going to kill him. That was the purpose. That's what's going to happen. And so he's telling them, you're going to be judged even by the Gentile nations because this is how awful it is. So that's what Jesus is telling them, right? So before we go on to that three-day and three-night calculation, which is so much fun, I love doing it, (laughs) um, let's learn a little bit more um, about the Queen of the South that goes to see Solomon. Sounds like a good band name. Yeah, Queen yeah. of the South, was, wasn't that like a, a Netflix show or yeah. something? Mm-hmm. Was it? I haven't watched it. She was it. a drug lord, yeah. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder, it probably was a coincidence, right? It couldn't have been like a reference to like the that. Uh, oh, I don't think it's a reference yeah. at all. I mean, maybe somebody heard maybe like, Queen of the I mean, South. when I say reference, not reference, but did they pull the title? Because it's such a good, the Queen of the South, you know, yeah. it's, it's a good title. Yeah. Whatever. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. So if you will ch- turn to First uh, Kings chapter ten, we're going to read verses one through thirteen. This is where we're going to we're going to learn about who this queen of the south is. So we'll start now. When the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. He literally took her breath away. Like, that's how you impress a woman, right? (laughs) (laughs) And she said to the king, 
The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. So what she expected was far more. more. Yeah. He was super wise. Mm-hmm. He, this guy was amazing, super wise, right? So let's see. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. So I did some, I did a little study there. I need to do the, the actual math. Somebody have a calendar or a calculator? Sure. I mean, I got my phone. Yeah. Calculate this. So 125 talents of gold is 75 pounds is a talent. So it's 75 times 120. 9,000. So 9,000 pounds of gold is what she gave to him. No big deal. Right? Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. Now, I wonder what that would be worth today. What is 9,000 pounds? I mean, we're talking well, about gold how much is it right an ounce? now is around about 22 to 2,600 bucks. So 16 ounces to a pound, 16 by 9 yeah. by 2,200. 16 times 9,000. Yeah. Uh, $316,800,000. <laughs> That's why I went whoa when you said yeah. that. Yeah. That's a lot of gold. That's a lot 9, of gold. 9,000 pounds. Lord, that's a lot of anything. 16 million? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of money. And she gave him, and that's not all. Uh, and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So even the spices, and you know spices brought some cash too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spice, that was the spice trade. Probably pound beautiful. for a pound more. Yeah. So she was the original Spice Girl. <laughs> so anyway, she uh, she brings him probably maybe a half billion dollars in today's time. Right. That's how impressed yep. she was with this guy. You know, she thought he was something. Now, but we're not even done. The fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of Almug wood and precious stones. And the king made of the Almug wood supports for the house of the Lord, which is the temple of the time that he built, and for, the, for his own king's house. Also lyres and harps for the singers. No such Almug wood has come or been seen to this day. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. And the son of man will be more wiser than Solomon. You saw what he got in return as a gift from mm-hmm. her because of how wise he was. And she said, I thought you were half the man you are. You're, you're <laughs> double that. You know, you're amazing. And Jesus is more wiser more than, than that. Solomon. Yeah. That's what he's telling them. And so they're saying that, he, Jesus is saying to the scribes and Pharisees, that woman is going to stand up and judge you because she knows. She knows. Yeah, she knows. Mm-hmm. She has the standard by which she, she can judge. She knows the standard and he's yeah. above that. So the Jews, and, and that, that poses a problem for them because now they're going to be judged by Gentiles, which is not cool. And that's what this prophet's saying. So they're, they're really done with him. Like they've, they've had enough. So what I want to do now is get into the fun part. So I want to see if we can actually 
prove that he was in the grave three days and three nights, because if he wasn't, then he couldn't be the Son of Man. That's the sign to show them that he was the Son of Man. So I, we have to be able to show this. Now, they've wrestled with this, but there's a lot of people that have pretty much got it settled because they were able to do the phases of the moon with software and go all the way back and determine what day Passover fell on, mm-hmm. on the year that he died, okay? And they it's somewhere in the 30 to 31 AD, but they have it right yeah. there. I, I think it was around 30 AD. So anyway— I lost my place. You'll have to give me a minute because I wrote a bunch of notes. <laughs> and AJ read them all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about this so far? This has really sparked my interest. So like I spoke with you before we started. It's just like, show me Peter in a whole new light. Just, yeah. just his life around the resurrection. It's, it's, it's opened my eyes to a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. You know, it's like when you really get into it, if you take some time and you actually read it, and I'm sorry for the people that love the King James. I love the King James. I can read it. But there's a lot of people that can't. If you read it like in the English Standard or something that you can actually understand, then you'll get it. You know, and then when you do a study, you know, then use the King James if you want and just break it down. Use the Strong's Concordance. Get in there deep and really, really study. So, as we said, three days and three nights literally would be 72 hours. So, it's... uh, as we did with the Olivet Discourse, it's important that we stay in relevance, and we also understand that in his culture, they didn't celebrate Good Friday like we do, okay? They they had their own, which was Passover, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. So uh, there was Passover, and then there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so that's what Jesus is doing on the night that he's getting captured. He's actually having Passover with his disciples in the mm-hmm. upper room. So he's celebrating Passover, but then they capture him that night, okay? So... Let's look at the different versions, like what Mark says, Luke says, and John says, other than Matthew, because mm-hmm. Matthew said three days and three nights. So if you go to Mark chapter 8, verse 31, this is what Mark says. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. So there's no mention of nights there. It's just three days. That's all it says there, Okay. If we go to Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So he just says three days, on the third day rise, right? So nothing about the night. Then in John, the last gospel, John chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Now you would think he's going to say the sign of Jonah but he says something else, but it's the same thing. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You've heard this. Mm -hmm. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So in the John, it's just the three days. So, Matthew's the only one that says three days and three nights. Mm-hmm. And so I've read 
that they say that this is, this is used like in a hyperbolic way, like three days and three nights. It's like saying I've told you forty eleven times, you yeah. know, or the nth degree, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, three days and three nights. But it's not, in my opinion. If if Jonah says three days and three nights in that ancient time, and then in his time he says three days and three nights, maybe. Mm-hmm. But most likely it's a literal seventy two hours, in my opinion. Yeah, it's literal, and it, that is the sign to show you that he truly is the Messiah. Now there are a lot of signs in the heavens it's, and it's all kinds of stuff. Fascinating to me that that uh, they, like three days and three nights is so important, but being dead for like three days and. Three nights. Two nights. That's not. <laughs> no, it's not good enough. No. And, no. and I think that's really the point. That's why yeah. I celebrate, you know, I'll celebrate today on Good Friday in remembrance. And, um, sure. Well, but when I you start getting it, into like holiday dates and the dates that holidays were placed on, it's like, you got to just shrug that off. Right. Really. Because you just like, how literal is the date of any religious holiday? Right. Especially like state Christmas and Easter. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yes. just like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just researching last night, I come. I think I came upon a theory that kind of helped me with this situation and the whole three day, three night thing. Because he, that's when he rode in on the donkey, correct? And they that had week. that week and all of that. Well, as he rode in that night, he knew he would die, correct? Yeah, yeah, he knew he was he dead. Knew he was going to die. Yeah. So maybe that. That's when it started. Mm-hmm. If he knew he was going to die already, maybe he's speaking from there. Like he's already accepted death. He knows he's going to die. Yeah, I mean, you could, I guess you yeah. could say philosophically, but sure. he makes it so, you know, in that Matthew statement, he says three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Like he's, and he's aligning himself with Jonah who is in the fish for three days and three nights. So I don't think it's metaphorical. I, I think that he's actually saying, when this happens to me, literally, then you're going to know it's me. So, oh, you, uh, you stick to Matthew's telling because it more, because it aligns with Jonah, right? I actually stick to all of them because I can, I can show you how all of them are actually correct. Okay. Well, all four we gospels. wait with bated breath. And oh, by yeah. bated, I mean coffee breath. <laughs> he waits with coffee breath. So, like I said, they celebrated Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in the New Testament, although this is in Leviticus, and I will read Leviticus, in the New Testament, it tells us in this timing, Luke 22, 1 says, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. So this is that time, you know, that Mm -hmm. week, uh, right after the triumphal entry. Luke 22, verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So if we go to Leviticus 23, 5 through 7, it's going to explain something very unique that we have to pay attention to. And it's the day that follows the Sabbath is called, uh, the day that follows Passover is actually called a high day. Okay, um, it's a different Sabbath. It's a different one from the weekly Sabbath. It's unique. So in Leviticus twenty-three, verse five through seven, this is what it says. Now Leviticus is an Old Testament. It's for the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. So this is where the law is, and this is how they do celebrations and festivals, and what they, sh- you know, how they're supposed to conduct themselves. And Le- Leviticus is for the Levitical priesthood and how they're supposed to follow these, the the moon, and when they're supposed to set their timing and all that. So this is an important thing in their culture historically. They've been doing this Passover ever since Moses escaped Exodus, right? Mm-hmm. Or escaped Egypt in the Exodus. So Leviticus 23, verse 5 through 7. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation, or you shall not do any 
uh, you shall not do any ordinary work. So it's a Sabbath. So these these observances, the way that it's taught, is that it's from sunset until the sunset the following day. That's how they work it, okay? Jews of today still do the same thing, or even Adventists do this. On yeah. Friday evening, they whoop, and then it's a full Sabbath until Saturday evening, and then they're released from that Sabbath. So it just so happens that with the phases of the moon and studying historically, that on the year that Christ died, that Passover fell on a Tuesday, Okay. So it's kind of a unique thing, okay? So the following day would be the high day, which would be on a Wednesday. And here's what's so cool. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 31, listen to what he says. Since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. Uh-huh. There it is. That that tells you right then that it doesn't have to be the the regular weekly Sabbath. Uh-huh. It can be a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So this was after Jesus was dead, and because the the Sabbath was coming, they can't have their people hanging on a cross. They have to be buried. Mm-hmm. That's so, law. So they didn't even. Uh, so in my understanding, of this right, they wouldn't even have hung overnight. No. Okay. Now, in in most cases, uh, if they weren't a Jew, if they you know, when when the Romans crucified, they would leave people. Like I told you, the longest living person on a cross was nine days. That's, ugh. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, it's a couple days. There were some people that, you know, were able to stay alive long. Because you could keep yourself alive because you, you die. In crucifixion, you actually die from asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, you would think trauma and blood loss or whatever, but it's not. They were... <laughs> they were a brutal killing machine, man. They tortured you, and you you literally just, you could stand up on the stock so that you could breathe, and when you got tired and you went down and down and down, then it would cut off your air, and then you couldn't breathe. And so it was constantly a battle of just trying to breathe, okay? Humans if, are a special breed of thing. Especially the Romans. Uh, we've talked about what a killing machine they are. And think about it. Pilate tried not to kill Christ, and so he had him flogged, which was, you know, 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails on his mm-hmm. back, flayed his skin open. Now imagine him carrying a cross on a rugged beam. Sure. Yeah. This is Ugh. not a, this is, <laughs> it's unbelievable what he went through. So we've seen that this, that what John has said is that it's a high day. So if the Passover hits on a Tuesday, the high day is on the Wednesday, then, or I'm sorry, on the Thursday. It's on a Wednesday. Passover was on Tuesday. Then it was Wednesday that he was crucified. Then Thursday would have been that high Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. So that means that Wednesday evening, our what we would call Wednesday evening, that would be the time frame that he would have to come off the cross before sundown mm-hmm. because that was the Sabbath. That's what has to happen. So uh, I found this online, this awesome... Did you see the picture yeah. mm-hmm. that I sent you? All right. I'm going to do this really fast, okay? So I'm going to be rambling off some scriptures, and I'm going to read kind of like a highlight. We're going to go through this really quickly. If anybody wants to study it, slow me down, look it up in the verses yourself, and prove it to yourself. I'm like uh, podcast apps. A lot of times you can listen to them at uh, different speeds. Yeah, put, put it, it at like slow 0.75 speed. Yeah. or something. You and know. then Jesus was crucified. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not. Did do you that. just? Is that Bill Cosby reading the Bible? It's like it's like putting it's just, era Bill Cosby reading the Bible. I think. Just <laughs> jealous putting to pop. <laughs> it's the best I got. <laughs> Here, take this pill. All right, so <laughs> so if Jesus were, you know, if the Passover 
uh, if you remember it, when it goes into sundown, uh, that Tuesday evening going into Wednesday prior to midnight, uh, in Luke chapter 22, verses 13 through 15, you'll see that Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. Then if you go to Mark chapter 14, verses 26, then 39, and then 41, you see that Jesus prayed three times while he was in the garden. And then in Mark chapter 14, verse 53, Jesus was betrayed and arrested. That's when Judas comes and kisses him, and then the the, the temple guards capture him, and we see the naked guy, and Peter uses the sword. Like All that's happening the night before his crucifixion. Then he's led in Mark chapter 15, verse 1. This is still in the evening, okay? It's not the next morning. He's bound, He's already been through some mock trials with the chief priest. He's been before King Herod. They've been parading him around the city, you know, at night, which is illegal, by the way. You can't have these trials at night. They have to be during the day, but they're doing it anyway because they're trying to get it done uh-huh. before the holy day. The holy son of God was in mock hurry trials. Hurry up and so kill hurry these up, people. Hurry up and get this holy one killed on for our holy celebration. Interesting. So in Mark 15, 1, he's bound and delivered. And then in Mark 15, verse 25, which is the third hour of the day or at 9 a.m., he's crucified. Now, keep in mind, before this, he was already, you know, um, flogged or scourged, as they mm-hmm. say. It's um, funny, you know, I never imagined this happening in the morning. It always, like, mid-afternoon heading into evening is the picture in my head, you know? It feels like you could handle a crucifixion better in the afternoon yeah, than first does, thing in the morning. It absurd to like, say out loud, but that's it, absolutely, yeah. Kinda, yeah, you yeah. got coffee breath. You're drinking it at 10 a.m. in the morning, and by this point, Jesus is already on the cross. Right. Ugh. And so, he was flogged sometime between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., you know, and he has enough time to be brought from where he was Just, flogged. And you're, like, pur- you're like groggy, and they're like, all right, bud. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is when they put the purple on him, and they put the crown of thorns on him. This is all happening in the wee hours of the morning, like super early. That, this, that, that does feel worse somehow. Sorry, AJ. Is this also when Peter denies him That's right. three times? That same night. The same night. Yeah. That's the same night. Mm-hmm. Yep, he denies him three times, and he cusses out a little girl. Yeah. Peter does, yeah. I mean, it's all this stuff is happening like really, really fast, but it's all happening on this one night. And into the next morning. So at 9 a.m., he's crucified. Now, that is on the Passover. That's the daytime. So he needs to be put on the cross before sundown, okay? And the only way that's going to happen is if somebody gets his body off there. That's the only way it's going to happen. And so uh, according to John 1931, I think— or it's in John 19, yeah, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So what he's, they're saying, okay, kill these men because they're all Jewish, kill them all. And then, and by the way, that morning they set Barabbas free. Do you, have you ever heard that? Yeah. So, so they set Barabbas free and Jesus takes his place. And then the other thieves, you know, are nailed up on these crosses too. And during this time, that's whenever you hear the one that says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, Father, forgive me. And all this is happening, right? In this mm-hmm. last little second, right? Then the then it the says that the sun goes dark for like three hours, you know? And then when he dies, the earthquakes, like there's an earthquake, you know, whether that's symbolic or it's literal, regardless, it's understandable what's going on with the Son of God on the cross. That's what's going on. So, but the Jews know, okay, we got to get them down. And because Pilate keeps the city from going into unrest, and Rome was very good, if you paid your taxes, you could still have your religious rights. So they would, of course, say, yeah, go ahead, you know, go get them down. You know, you got your men, go take them down. 
you know, uh, no problem. Just make sure they're dead. But he has to have a Roman soldier that goes and knows how to tell that they're dead and release them. We know that from Roman history. Or history. So that would have happened, but that's why they went and asked, hey, can you go make sure, get them dead and let's get them off the, you know, get them off the cross, okay? So that evening or that day, later that day, Joseph of Arimathea is, he's a Pharisee. And Nicodemus is also one of the rulers of the Jews. They were secret disciples. They, they hadn't come out openly. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's in the scripture. They were secret disciples. They were part of the ruling class of the Jews. And Joseph of Arimathea was very rich, and he was a secret disciple. And it just so happens that this is the coming out day for Joseph of Arimathea mm-hmm. and Nicodemus. They go before Pilate and say, we want the body of the Christ. I have a tomb right up here. We're going to follow our law. I need the body. Let's get him over there. So they make sure that he's dead. And Pilate allows Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to take him off the cross. And so they're there. And Nicodemus brings, I can't remember how much it is, 100 pounds of ointment or whatever. We've talked about mm. this in his resurrection. It's, it's a weird a weird side fact that I learned from this podcast is that Jesus had like some backers. He did. He had some people that mm-hmm. really, you know, the women that were rich that took yeah. care of him. He had Joseph very Wealthy and like some There were some powerful like people inf- too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it wasn't like he was, I mean, yes, of course he went to the fishermen and he went yeah, to well, the dregs. Yeah, yeah. But he had people but, that but cared yeah, about him too and, had, and believed yeah, his yeah. message. Absolutely. So here's where it gets interesting. So now he is in the ground on just before twilight, Wednesday evening. So we got a night, okay? So here we go into the day. That's the high day. That's the Sabbath. Now, nothing can be done on this day. No, ordin- no ordinary work. So you weren't going to go into town and buy anything. You were going to, you just had to like chill or eat of the feast, mm-hmm. right? Yep. All right. So it says in Mark chapter 16, verse thir- uh, one, the women uh, bought embalming spices. This was after the Sabbath. Okay. And then in Luke 23, 56, it says the women prepared the spices. We already know that Nicodemus had some, because mm-hmm. it talks about that, yep. but the women go and they purchase. So what this is doing, if you look at it, if he was crucified on a Wednesday and the high day was on a Thursday, then Friday was an open day for market. So that's when the women went and bought it, because they wouldn't have time otherwise. Mm-hmm. When would they? How could they, how could they do it? So that, that's the timing. And so in Luke 23, 56, right after they bought the spices, it says, then the woman rested on the Sabbath. So we know the women were with Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. We know that he brought some spices, but the women came, they went and got it on that Friday. So now we've got into the second day, into the second night, okay? And then the weekly Sabbath of Saturday begins, all right? So now we have the actual Sabbath, and they're all waiting. And then on Sunday morning, the women go to embalm his body. In Luke 24, 1, it says they go to embalm his body. But when they arrive, he was already gone. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And so, nobody believed him either. No. No, yeah. woman, you crazy. crazy. Yeah, they had like a woman's <laughs> testimony like didn't hold water. Before. Right. Yeah. Who's, whose tomb was he in too? He was in somebody's Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph, okay. the man that took him off the cross. Okay. He put him in his own, they, there's songs called In a Borrowed Tomb, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he didn't borrow it for too long. No, no. Yeah, that's why it's borrowed. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was only for three days, and then he got his tomb back. Supposedly, you can go um, to Israel to this day, and you can actually see that tomb. 
So they do know where it is. Well, yeah. And they think they, they believe. Yeah. It's, yeah. Pro- it's like Disneyland, mm-hmm. you know, it's, or like going to Vegas and seeing the pyramids. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's kind of like seeing it, but it's really not. You know, I don't know if it's the accurate yeah. one or not, but it's in the generalized location. But if you think about it, 2,000 years has been a long time. You're mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You know? They can get some things, they can date some things and place some things pretty well, but boy, not much. You yeah. know, a couple things they can really nail down, but a but lot if, of stuff's kind of vague. Sure. And if they anybody, know the area, if anybody sure. can nail da- down dates, times, and names, it's the, the Jewish. Romans? Oh. The Jewish. Uh, like they're uh, laying. You were going like, for the same joke. I just did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So in John chapter 20, it says that Mary Magdalene went out early and that she got there. It was still dark even though the other three Gospels say that the women arrived when at sunrise. So she got there just before the sun came up and the tomb was already open and he was already gone. So we know that if you want to do a literal three days and three nights that you can, you can see it from Wednesday at twilight all the way to Saturday at twilight. And then he could have arose from the grave at that moment. And then by the time the women got to the tomb, he was already gone. So that's how it can work, and that's how it does work. So you get exactly three days and three nights. And that's, you know, that's what I think actually happened, because then it satisfies all four of the Gospels, because it's three days, after three days, it, it all works. You see uh-huh. what I mean? Like, every bit of it works. So what do you think? I just, I'll pose a question. Pose it. He was in the tomb for three days, three nights. Yep. Where'd he go? Well, do you want me to tell you? Do you know I, where? I, I, yeah, Tell me I where. think I do. Tell me where you think I think he went. he went to hell. He went to what's called, not the hell that, that, that we might yeah. think of. He went to Hades. Yeah. According to Peter, he preached to those that had been drowned in the deluge of yeah. Noah's time. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't quote it perfectly. I could Google that and probably read it. Matter of fact, maybe I should. And it said something like he freed... He freed some tortured or captured souls there. Yeah. It's yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Let's see. So he's busy. Yeah, there was a lot going on. So he says, First Peter chapter three, we'll start at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, as it says right there, it says, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So, that would have been Hades. That's where they would have put in the pit, or down in that area. So, yeah. So, yeah, even though he was dead in the flesh, like the body flesh, for three days and three nights, he was still working, and then he he comes back. And then when he comes back— I love, then, I love the word working. That's so funny right there. Yeah, I mean, that's—yep, he was working. It, it proves that he was better than Jonah, and it also proves that he was far, wise, far wiser than Solomon. I mean, he knows pretty much all, right? That's the way we look at it. Maybe not in his human form, but definitely whenever he reaches to the Almighty. So— Hey, we did it. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. What are we doing? About an hour? Yeah, ish. An hour ish. That wasn't bad at all. No, no. I got a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> AJ and I will be the judge of that yeah. and possibly random humans on the internet. <laughs> everybody, everybody. If you don't like it, just email me a turd. Yeah. yeah. Don't everybody, actually literally yeah. mail me a turd, but email a pic. Yeah. Uh, I, I want everybody to 
every time Rick tells a joke, I want you to tag him on Twitter and say whether or not you thought it was good. <laughs> I know. I love it. <laughs> but I just simply, though, yes, yes or a no. Yeah. Did, did I tell you we have a hashtag now? Oh, no. Oh. Hashtag bros of Berea. Well, that's great. Yeah, yeah sure. That makes sense. We just had to. Yep. We got the website, www.burrowsofberea.com. I should look at the website. I think you sent me a picture of it, but that might be the only I've seen of it. Yeah, that's that's probably true for most, uh, not many, I don't know, maybe people, actually I do get a lot of visits on there now that I think about it. Great. I, he sends me a stat counter and so I can see what's going on on the site. Um, and we're actually getting ready to put the notes from the underground in some of those notes that I've written, you mm-hmm. know, those novels that I've Yeah, put you together. might as well get a second, you know. Get yeah. second use out of that, yeah. sure. So then we'll put them on there so that people can go to the episode and they can actually pull up the notes that I'm using, that I'm reading from. So like that gigantic novel that we read today, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be it on the website. Bad. It wasn't It wasn't bad. too bad. No. It was a pain in the butt to write it because I yeah. wrote every bit of it. Rick, Rick puts a lot of work into the the prep. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> it's not me. Right? I didn't copy paste it. You know, this time I actually physically wrote. I've been writing since four o'clock this morning. So. All right, so these three narcotics officers get into a firefight with some drug lords and are killed, and they go to heaven. And they're standing at the gates, and Larry, the 15th apostle, is there looking at the books. And he looks at the guys, and he says, ah, he said, so you guys were cops in life. So just so you understand, because you are a servant, and because you put your life on the line for other people— we do one thing for you that's unusual. It's not in heaven, but it's in life. And they're like, well, what could that be? And he said, each of you are getting ready to have a funeral on earth. And he said, so what we will grant you, whatever you want to be said about you in front of whoever is there, we will grant you one sentence and we'll guarantee it's said at your funeral. (laughs) So the first cop goes, I want my family to hear that I was one of the bravest cops on the force. And then the second one said, you know what? He said, I want people to to see that I was a man of honor and that I died in the line of duty. Make sure that's said. And the third one thought for a minute and he was like, I want them to say, look, he's moving. (laughs) 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 He was hoping to get Uh, put back to life, but it didn't happen. (laughs) That's that's, that's cute. That one's good. He didn't want to step on any ducks in heaven. You don't know that joke, do you? No. Uh-uh. So you don't listen to the you don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Special Uncle AJ doesn't even listen. Anyway, it's it's a rule. If you're on a podcast and you're not the editor, you don't listen to it. I don't know why, but if you listen to any podcast long enough, you'll hear them be like, "Did you listen to an episode?" And that person, somebody that's on that podcast, will be like, "No, I never listen." <laughs> I just. Every podcast I've ever listened to, that conversation comes up at some point, oh, and yeah. it's always the same answer. Like, nope. Yeah, I know. I don't, I don't listen to the stuff I'm on. <laughs> not only the stuff that you're not, uh, and the stuff you're not on, I found. You know, like, Cherry and them, they're like, no, I haven't heard that one yet. I'm like, what? you don't want to listen to me talk more? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like some of them are real good. You should, th- yeah. We'll rate them and be like, you got to at least listen to these. I I got to be honest with you. Like I went back and listened to our origins of Satan and the divine council and they're, I loved that. I love that stuff. That, that study still, was great. Still my favorite series, but it's just a little more, um, what's the, I don't know Intimate what the word is. and informative. Well, it's, it's not that. I mean, that is actually true because it's a lot of stuff I didn't have any knowledge of. And it really filled in gaps like the gospel of Eve 
Was it Eve? Uh, the Gospel of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Yeah, the life of That's Adam and Eve. Fascinating. Yeah. And it fills in like an important gap in like motivation for why was Satan the way he why? was? Like, yeah. That's amazing. But uh but but also yeah it was uh, that older stuff that's just a little more what's the word it's not flamboyant like there's more characters and uh, and it's less like the new uh, the New Testament is so stripped down it's just yeah. you know uh, Jesus and it's only a God quarter of the size of the Old Testament yeah, you know Jesus got heaven and hell but the lower of the Old Testament is so much more rich that it's just more interesting yeah me, you know yeah. there's way more characters and giants on Earth and all that that's just you know yeah. It's yeah, good. there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's, it's very good. interesting. It's, it's a lot more interesting. I agree. You know, like, yeah. um, like the Book of Judges. I don't know, if, you know, if you've ever read the Book of Judges, but it's got some crazy stuff in it. That's where you hear about Samson, yeah. and yeah. Delilah, and uh, also Jephthah, who said, "The next person, you know, give me this God, and the next person that I see, and I will, you know, I will offer us them as a sacrifice." And his daughter walks in. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah like, there's some. Oh yeah. no, you know. Come to find out that he didn't literally sacrifice her. She had to sacrifice by being a virgin her whole life is what she had to uh, do. But anyway, he didn't actually like cut her throat. That's an know? interesting reinterpretation of the yeah. word sacrifice in, in that moment. <laughs> sacrifice. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, no, no fish. <laughs> no fish. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So... Listeners, I hope that you have a great Good Friday today, provided that we get this baby out. I oh, think we will. hopefully we will, uh, because I yacked a whole lot more than everybody else did on here. So that should be easy. To- yeah, that, that, does, that <laughs> absolutely makes it easier. Sure. That's but, the, the testimonials are the same way. It's just like the front and back, and you just like, yeah, got the center, pay a little bit of attention to the front and back, and you're good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, regardless, look, I believe that it's, you know, that it was literally three days and three nights. Uh, if uh, I'm not in, even interested in debating it or arguing it, because it doesn't technically matter if you are today you're taking the time to say, this is when I believe that Jesus was crucified and I believe he was crucified for me. And then he was put in the grave and that he was resurrected, which means that he was who he said he was. And so that he could offer you eternal life. That's what these holidays are about. And Easter, I'm not going to get into the pagan side of it. Regardless of it, it's, we consider it resurrection day and it happened around Passover. And this is the time of Passover for the Jews. So it's, you know, this is the yeah. time. Where I believe her, I don't think I'd get too tied up in specific dates frankly. Yeah. I do about Christmas just because it's fun. (laughs) It's interesting as a discussion, Yeah, but it wouldn't be the point. I wouldn't think for most people that the specifics of days are the points on which their faith turns, is what I'm saying. Right. So anyway, well, thanks everybody for listening. I hope that you have a wonderful Good Friday and a happy Easter. And uh, we'll be back next week. We have an awesome testimony that's coming from uh, Janice Anderson. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. Uh, somebody that was a, a heroin addict and a crank addict and alcoholic and had so much it, That was a good one, too. Yeah. That was a good one, too. We do some old school talking about making a preacher plow. Yeah. That's a real fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. On this yeah. side of glory and this stuff. Like, it was really fun. It was, and it's a great story. And so that comes out next Thursday. So I hope that uh, everybody will listen to that and share it with anybody that's ever uh, dealt with what she's dealt with. It's a powerful testimony. And it's good for just anyone to hear that there is hope, you know, and I like that. That's one of the things I love about her story. So, AJ, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Can't wait to do it yeah, again. Yeah, come up with the next great subject. Great to have you back, man. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Nick, tell me about the next subject, and we'll tackle another one. It'll be a lot of fun. Andy, thanks so much. It's good to be here. Yep. We'll talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea.
Happy Zombie Jesus Day. <laughs> oh, no. I waited till the end because I was like, I might, I want to put this where it will be real easy to cut off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was funny. Jeez. <laughs>